everyone. This is Benchwarmers Club Sports and Entertainment Podcast, and today we are doing an episode that should have been done a very long time ago. I just wanted to wait. I wanted to get some more games in. I wanted to see if there was anything else I liked more, but these are my top 10 favorite board games with some very good honorable mentions. I love all these games, and there are even more I have not played. And I will be honest, a lot of these games are war games. So I do warn you that there's a lot of war games on this list and not a lot of traditional Hasbro-style games. But I still do love a lot of games that aren't even on this list. They just more so on this list tend to be war games. I just say that so you're not surprised that I don't have Clue at number 3. Although I do like Clue. When I made this, there is a few complications that I have not played all these games with basically more than solo. I played some of these games only solo, so I can't really determine whether or not it should be higher or lower when playing against an actual human. So some of these games I have only played solo, I'd actually almost say could be much higher had I played them with an actual person. That being said, let me go over some honorable mentions here. Before we start this top 10, my honorable mentions are that I am a massive fan of the card game Poker, but this is supposed to be more of a board game list, so I'm not putting card games like I love Poker and Euchre. So even though it's not part of the list, I'll just say it's an honorable mention, so no one questions why they're not here. I love Monopoly. I'm not one of these Monopoly haters. I actually did a really long episode of this show on that. And yeah, I'm not you're never going to hear me slander Monopoly, even though I'd prefer not to play it over most games on this list, of course. I love Settlers of Catan. It's very key to my heart, but unfortunately, it's it's just doesn't have enough for me to put it in my top 10 because I don't think it has enough strategy elements I like in a game. The one thing though I do like about Catan is that it's very unforgiving. That if you're getting kicked in the face by the game, it's going to keep kicking you in the face. And that is something I do love. Um, another game I have is uh, Falling Sky, which is a GMT coin game, which is about uh, Julius Caesar and uh, him reconquering Gaul. It's really fun, but there's another coin game I like a lot more. Oh, I better silence my phone. Let's see here. Yeah, you get a live on-air. Oh, there we go. I have my notes right next to me. That's why my phone was on. And it was even, it was just for a score update about the AP poll for basketball. So that should tell you the importance. Anyways, moving on, yeah. Uh, the Jaws board game I think is amazing. I just haven't played it enough to determine whether or not it's a top 10 game. I think it could be, though. Stone Age, I've played with Derek, friend of the show, a couple times. We played twice. And I have to say, I think the game's really fun. I need to, I think, though, dive into it a little bit more and learn the strategies a little bit more. But it feels very similar to Catan in that regard, where it's a very punishing game, and I really like that. But I kind of like Catan. I think the one thing I think it's kind of missing is the military aspect of it, but that's just bias on my end. And my, I guess... 
I don't like Euro. I tend not to like Euros as much as I tend to like more war games. So that's just a personal opinion. A war game here is 1917. Wait, sorry. It's 1918, 1919 Storm in the West, a Ted Racer game. Basically about the Western Front, uh, Hex Encounter. If from here on, if I was going to my top 13, War of the Ring would be number 13, a Lord of the Rings game. Axis and Allies would be 12. And uh, I reviewed this game here on uh, the show, which is a time of crisis. At number 11. I think my problem with these three games is, for one, I have played Time of Crisis a lot, and a Time of Crisis, I think, is a little too abstract for my liking at times, and I think I also said this, there's things about the game I just hate, and reasons why I'd rather just play one of these ten games over it. There's just a couple factors, but a Time of Crisis I've spent too much time with, and it's a, it's a fine game. It's just not top 10 good in my opinion, and I think the design could have been much better. Especially scoring is kind of my new complaint. I feel like the game is kind of like farm for little invasions and try to get people to invade you so then you can stack points, then just rush to the capital and win. That's kind of the optimal way to play, I find, and I won't get too much into it because we're already... Okay, I'll tell you what. At the six-minute mark, we'll do number 10 so I can write that in the comments. The six-minute mark. Axis and Allies, just... I I don't know. I think what I don't like about the game is that it's incredibly long. And it's kind of one of those incredibly long games that I just don't love to play. So, I really like the game, but I don't love it enough to spend six hours into a game. At least not at this point in my life. And I have not played a full game of this since college, since I had like a 13-hour game. So, a little bit of a sensitive subject. How about that? So, number 10 is 1775 American Revolution. This is kind of a weird combination of risk and very... Maybe even you could say it's a combination of a little bit of Axis and Allies. This game is as simple as it gets. A cube of your nation's color is your soldiers. You get dice that represent the battles. An absolutely beautiful map of the United States. Geography is a key feature in this game. I really love this game. It's perfect for introducing people to war games. It's perfect for teaching people fundamentals in board games. And this is a game you can play with anybody. You can play this with 10-year-olds and they'll probably understand it. You can play this with 60-year-olds and they'll probably understand it. You can play this with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And if you, they have other friends there too, maybe you'll all have fun with this game. Because it's just kind of goofy dice throwing. You don't even really need too much strategy. You just need some good dice rolls. And I think this game does a fantastic job of creating... Your own story of the American Revolution. For example, when I played a game against my brother, I took, as the British, all the southern United States, and my brother took all the northern United States. And how we got there made no sense, because all my invasions were towards the south, and his were all towards the north. And at one point he owned Canada. It was just a wild game, and it was a lot of fun, and we ended up creating 
kind of fronts to the battle. The cool thing about this game is when you start out, there are no fronts to this game. You can, you think you're protected, but there's an enemy just behind you ready to attack you. You're really not safe at any point in this game. And I think that's really cool that there's not really true battle lines drawn. It also creates the scenario where maybe it's better in the south if you're playing as the United States to just reinforce there. Because if you don't reinforce there, it's going to be really tough to win the north anyway because the British can get such a massive force that they can kind of crush you at some point in the north, especially if they get aboriginal support. So due to that, it can be... It can be really, I personally think the United States is a little tougher to play than the British. Mostly because uh, there's like Aboriginal Indigenous forces and you need them on your side if you're going to win this game. And the British have like absolutely straight access to start negotiating and getting them on their side. And because they can easily get to these soldiers and they can enhance their army so quickly especially if they go first. The British can build pretty massive forces pretty quickly. And also, the United States can also get these indigenous fighters, but the kind of problem for the U.S. is they have to go out of their way to do it. And if you're going out of your way to get more forces that way, it can become tough because then the British are just going to attack you where you're weak. Basically, if you're playing as the United States, your best bet is to try to get the French in the game early, or else you're going to struggle a little bit. And that's why I put a more experienced player playing the U.S. and a less experienced playing the British side. This game can also be played 2-on-2, two two, which is just amazing. Number 9 is A Distant Plane. This is a coin game in the GMT series, and it's on a little bit of a controversial topic of the war in Afghanistan. I'm not going to talk too much because I understand that the Afghan war is very kind of new in this frame of history and some people don't think it's respectful to make a game on it. I personally think it's the, I don't think you should censor what games are made because I think history should be taught and history should be talked about. And although I'd understand in some cases of this being kind of insensitive to maybe the soldiers who came back and this and that. I think this game is pretty respectful with everything. And I think it's a great tool for teaching people about the war in Afghanistan. But that's just my opinion. I'm sure others would strongly disagree with me. And are too uncomfortable to kind of play this game. So I've only played this game solo. I really want to play with other people. But basically one person plays as the insurgents in Afghanistan. Another person plays as the warlords in Afghanistan. Someone plays as the Afghan government installed by the U.S. And then someone plays as the coalition. Basically, the insurgents, the two factions, the warlords and the insurgents, don't really get along with each other, but they kind of have to put up with each other in order to get their goals. Where the U.S., well, the coalition and the Afghan government, more so will be on the same page, but the problem is... The coalition wants people to support the government. And the government wants to take as much land as they can under their coin control. It creates a very interesting dynamic because the government doesn't care if they're like. They more so just want to take what they can and take the territory they can. But then the coalition's like, wait guys, we need to, we need everyone to like us. And they're like, uh, what? 
So it can create very good, I guess, problems there. Especially when I played solo against bots. How my bot just kept going to the south of Afghanistan. Would never stop doing that. And I just was trying to get them liked in the north and it just didn't work. It is cool though because there's only one winner. So even though there's kind of two teams, you're not really their teammate. Heck, at some points if someone's winning, everyone will turn on that one person no matter what faction you are. It's a cool concept. Number 8's an Attrition of Souls, and this is probably the second easiest game on this list. This is also a war game covering World War One, But it does it in a very quick, easy way. One side plays the Entente, the other plays... Uh, oh, goodness. The Triple Alliance. And it's, it's a cool game because... Soldiers are randomly taken out of the bag with a certain nationality, so that can determine how big people's armies are in what country, and that can really affect your tactics. Also, throughout the game, like the United States joins, there's a little bit of alternate history here because Mexico also joins, even though it makes sense because no sense at all because Mexico would have, no matter what, never joined the war. Different conversation. Um, Russia can surrender. There's a lot of really cool things in this game, and... Although, this game tends to create a lot of unhistorical things that make no sense. The point of the game is that, and this is one of the kind of clever things of the game, you basically get three types of soldiers. You get soldiers, you get planes, and you get, uh, oh goodness, artillery. A soldier hits on a one, an artillery hits on a two, and a plane hits on a three. But, in order to hit your enemy you're also taking that damage to yourself. And I think that's a very clever representation of World War I because so many lives were lost to take land. And it's very depressing. And it really makes you think while you're playing this game how much suffering there was to take basically territory in this conflict and how much our troops had to go through. I'm not saying it's one of these games that's perfectly respectful to the World War One conflict, but I'm saying it, I think it's a really good historical representation of the war in terms of you're putting yourself in the shoes of whatever side you're playing and you're trying to figure out a way to win and you have no resources basically. You don't have a lot of troops to use and it's really hard to take any location on the map and it's a very nice map of Europe and the United States. But besides that, it is a really good game if you like Risk or you like another game on this list, The American Revolution, 1775. Attrition of Souls is a great game, and I think if you like World War I history, you like studying it, and you also like games like Risk, I think you'll really like this game. Number seven, I've combined a lot of things. It's the Next War series. Due to the conflict in Ukraine, this is another game I'm not going to talk about too much because the Next War series takes a look at what military operations could look like in the future. So I own Next War Korea and I own, and I own Next War Vietnam and I have Next War Poland in the mail right now. And basically these games, uh, Next War Korea, and you're simulating the North Korea versus South Korea in a conflict. In Next War Vietnam, it's China versus Vietnam and kind of a coalition of other countries in Southern Asia to coming to their aid, including the United States. 
And uh, next war, Poland's about a Russian invasion of Poland in the near future. And all these games happen in the near future. I think it's somewhere in like 2025, 2026. But due to there right now being some conflicts, I won't talk too much about this game. I think it's a really good tactical game. It makes you think a lot and it makes you have to make really tough choices about what you're going to defend, what you're going to attack with. And I think it does a really good job of not feeling like a World War II game in 2026. Number six is uh, Thunder Alley. This game is kind of off-brand NASCAR. It's basically a racing game where you have a board of a racetrack. You got your little cars. And you got to race your cars. And you need all your cars, maybe not to finish first, but you need them to finish close to the top so you can take home the trophy for your team. This is a phenomenal game. I think it's a really cool game. And I gotta say that this is a really good game for people who like racing, like NASCAR, like sports in general, and like board games who don't play them. There's one thing I do hate about this game. It's the pitting system because I think pitting... Like getting your car repairs and new fuel and stuff is a complete pain. And I think it's a little too annoying in my opinion. It takes out of the game flow. But I will say this. I think it's an excellent game and it's something you should try. Number five is Bayonets and Tomahawks. This game takes place during the French and Indian War where uh, the British and the French were, well, I guess at war. And one side plays the French, and one side plays the British, and you're trying to take certain objectives. This game could be number one. The big problem with it, though, is balancing. This game, to win is the French in the long scenarios, you have to do every bit of cheese you possibly can, and you need to take advantage of game mechanics as much as you can, to the point where... I play this game solo, and I actually tried to sabotage the British. I was actively playing like a dumb commander, just rushing into any battle I could, and just moving forward on the map, and not even me playing dumb was enough for me to win as the French. Like, this game is so hard to win for the French in any long scenario, because the fact is you're outnumbered by so much, and the British have such good troops... You basically have no damn chance. Like, I don't know how you're supposed to even compete for a win as the French. Unless you're basically just doing the raid maneuver. And due to that big flaw is why it's not higher. But I actually love this game. And I've only played it solo. The map is beautiful. The components have historical flavor to them. Like you're playing as real British and French brigades during the French and Indian War. You also have a lot of different tactics you can use to win and play. I mean, there's a lot of Canadian geography, which is always bonus points. I just have nothing bad to say about this game. It's just a really good game. Number four is the game I played the most, and it's Woe Nilly College Football. Woe Nilly College Football puts you as head coach of... Whatever college football team you want to buy from the website and uh, whatever team you want to coach. And it's a play-by-play -play game, so you pick your offensive play, defense picks their play, simulate the results, see what happens, moves on. This game does have flaws, and I've had to create a lot of house rules. 
But this is probably my favorite sports game. Not probably. This is my favorite sports game ever made. It's a really cool game. And it's one of these games that I can play solo for hours alone in my basement and feel happy. Playing a board game alone has never felt less lonely than playing Wonilly College Football. It's also a really cool sim because you can see what ifs, you can play teams from different years against each other, you can have 1945 Army face 2020 Alabama. There's just infinite possibilities, and I think the game does an absolutely amazing job of making you feel like a football coach. Because like a coach, if your players aren't playing well, there's nothing you can do. You can be the most brilliant coach ever, but you keep rolling zeros and your guys keep missing passes. There's just there's just absolutely nothing you can do, and I'm sure that's how a lot of head coaches feel when their plans get completely derailed. This game is a little pricey too, but it's really good. I can, if you like football, I don't care if you're an NFL fan or a college fan or a CFL fan, try Woe Nilly College Football and buy a set of teams from whatever year or whatever era you really like. If I could recommend a season, maybe try the 2021 season because there were a lot of high-powered offenses. And then just fall in love with the game. Number three is Versailles 1919. And this game is really solid. It's about post-World War I. So if you want, you can play Nutrition of Souls first, then play Versailles 1919, the post-war. And it's about how the British, the French, the Americans, and to an extent the Italians, had their peace conference with the Germans and decided what they wanted to put reparation-wise and also what they wanted to put negotiation-wise and the other things. Involved basically with Germany being to an extent split apart. Well, not split apart, greater Germany split. The game basically has you using cubes as influence to try to win certain arguments about certain issues and dilemmas facing this new world. So, for example, if I'm, let's say, so the game you play is the Americans, the British, the French, or the Italians. If I'm the French player, I'm trying to get French happy faces. Basically is my goal. And if not French happy faces, I'm trying to get French flags that give me points on the issue cards. And I don't want the British to get it because that card will probably have an option to give me French sad faces, which makes my country sad. And they're all very historically relevant. Like, there's a really funny card where all the nations get happy faces if you clear them of their debts to the United States. So you get a scenario where everyone wants that card to get the happy faces, except for the U.S. player who doesn't want everyone else to get happy faces because you're losing your money. Which should probably really piss you off. So it creates these really funny sort of moments. And there's also a lot of table talk, which is completely encouraged, where... Like the leaders, you got to do some intimidating with your friends across the board. Like, my little brother Josh, he's going to be telling me that he's going to give me some sad faces because he wants to take Poland away, and I'm the British. Well, Josh, playing as United States, I don't want you to make Poland free. So guess what? I am going to do something that makes you mad on purpose now, and that card's worth more. So now we got to talk it out, and we got to try to figure out how we're going to kind of hash this out. Not anything short of a leader, you know, attacking another leader at the table, which would be completely inappropriate. Anything's pretty much fair game in this game. 
you can say what you want, you can do what you have to do to win. And I really appreciate that. And it I think it's this is a really good game for a group of friends who all know how to anger each other because you can get everyone pretty angry pretty quickly. It isn't diplomacy level, but you can get some people angry. Scythe is number two. And Scythe is a game I want to review, but I think Scythe is the only Euro I've ever played that I've fallen in love with. Because this game is entirely... This is a Cold War game. And if you played Scythe, you get what I'm saying. If you haven't, you don't get what I'm saying. In Scythe, what you're trying to do is... You're trying to get your objectives without other people getting pissed off and screwing you up. The more under the radar you are, the better off you probably are to win, as long as you're getting points. Because the second that you start antagonizing people or you start doing things people hate is the time you're going to get attacked. And this game is very Cold War because everyone's got militaries, but you don't really want to use them unless you have to. This is an area control game where you are trying to control territory, but the thing about controlling territory is that the territory means nothing to an extent if it's not part of the objectives needed. This game is at its core as well, besides being area control, entirely just economic based like a Euro where you're just trying to get money from, in, from however you can. And you're trying to get popularity and you're trying to get resources to make your economy powerful, which affects you at the end of the game. And, I mean, there's so much to think about when playing this. And every game's a little different, especially with the modular board. I hate the default board. Which is why if you buy this game, I think you need to buy the module board as well. Which lets you switch the game up a little bit. But I think this game has infinite play potential because you can just keep learning new strategies you play with a new person who maybe wants to attack more you might still win but every once in a while if he attacks you right that's your whole game plan gone it's also a really fun game for playing tournaments for like playing three or four games i don't know i love scythe i have grown a little bitter to it as i've gone older because of all the games i played and how i'm getting worse my brother's getting better and his friends are getting better, and it's being harder for me to finish top two these days, but, nah, whatever, I don't know, I think Scythe's a top two game. Number one should be no surprise, because I talk about, I've done an episode on this game, it's Frederick. Frederick is an area control game with objectives, and it's military based. The combat's done with playing cards. It's a 3 vs 1 game. You can make it even more if you want because there's minor countries, but it's recommended that it's only 4 players. But when I play as Frederick in that game, I, I don't feel stress in any board game except for Frederick, and that's why I love it. When I'm playing as Frederick, and I'm playing as Prussia, and I gotta beat Austria, I gotta beat France, and I gotta somehow beat Russia, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do. I'm stressed out of my mind. I don't know what's happening. I got no cards left. But they got no cards left. I got... Like the real Frederick the Great, my only hope is that this little deck of events are going to kill off some leaders and are going to just fall in my favor. So this game is unique in a sense because it's a three-on-one game, but there are cards that remove other countries from the fray. 
If you're playing as Russia and the card comes up in the event and says your queen dies, guess what? You're done playing. Your game is over. And maybe to some people that sucks. But guess what? That's too bad. Because unfortunately speaking as Frederick, I need you to pass away queen or else I'm not going to win. I need France to lose the French-Indian War. And I really need France to lose British India. Because if they don't, I'm going to lose. So every time a card's pulled, I'm stressed. I need cards to come up that, well, I don't need cards to come up about the British king seeing the poems I wrote about him and how I'm a bit of a jerk. I also really don't want other countries pulling my funding so I can keep fighting. Because at the end of the day, if I'm not getting cards, I'm losing military. And if I'm losing military capabilities, I can't defend Prussia. The brilliance of this game, too, is the three sides cannot be on the same page. If Britain wants to be... Sorry, not Britain. If, I'm thinking of the other game. One sec. If France and Russia are too chummy, then guess what? They're probably not going to win because they're not going to coordinate how to take down Frederick and how to take him down properly. But if you're two at odds and you have no coordination, no one's ever going to go for that sweeping kind of attack that's going to drain all of Frederick's cards. It's just a fascinating game, and it's a game that I wish I could play more with my friends, but they all hate it. And it's I can't play it solo because there's not really a solo bot unless I can find one online. The game does have a good following, and I hear Maria's even better, but I haven't tried Maria yet. It looks very fascinating though, but Frederick's one I have to recommend because I think you'll love it. Especially if you like any history involving Frederick the Great. There's even a story element to it where Frederick gets depression, he feels like he can't win. He's getting sad and he's losing all his troops and he feels bitter because his generals he thinks are idiots. I mean, it is, it is some fascinating stuff. And then you got games where Sweden's kicking your butt. Then their king all of a sudden just says, Ah, oh, okay, Frederick, we're cool, and just leaves. It's moments like that brilliance that just, just puts a tear in my eye. It's just amazing. And that's Frederick, and that's why I really love the game. If you... It's kind of... It's, it's not like nothing else on this list. Bayonets and Tomahawks, I didn't give it credit for at number 5 for being a unique game. Frederick is the most unique thing ever created in my mind because of how simple it is, yet how much strategy it takes for what it is. Frederick's like the war game version of Catan, but with combat and also more in-depth to it. Because there's no perfect way to play Frederick, because if you look at tournaments, the results are so varied. Like, Frederick is going to lose many more games than he's going to win. But the times you win as Frederick in the three-on-one are just a pure feeling of brilliance on your end. I don't know, maybe I'm putting too much stock into winning a fictitious game, but... Frederick's is just, it's just one of those games where I can't help but jump for joy when I make the right command. Which is something in a lot of these other games I don't feel. Anyways, that's the list. I hope you enjoyed listening to me for half an hour ramble about BS, but thank you, and there's going to be more content in the future. Until then, God bless, praise Christ, and take care.